in prayer, and then we'll receive the morning offering. Brother David, would you lead us, please? Amen. Thank you. Good morning, folks. Nice to see you out there. Everybody awake, happy. Yeah, all right, good. Well, I tell you what, we didn't get much rest over the weekend with that, uh, we got that marriage thing. And uh, boy, what a blessing that was. I was uh, telling Brother Gary a, a little bit about it. And, and, uh, but uh, the speaker was a fellow named uh, Rich Tozier, and uh, he was just excellent at this and it's very informative and you know I think I think people think that when you go to the marriage conference right that you must be like right on the brink of divorce and all that kind of stuff and um, uh, anyways uh, these things are designed and everything to edify the marriage and to make it better I'll tell you we learned some things there and this guy had a different way of of presenting some of the things and the whole the whole theme of it was just all about God's love as a matter of fact that I was telling Gary about this song that we sang it was kind of the opening song every time and through the uh, wonderful invention of my wife's cell phone here I actually have the lyrics now so I could I could read them to you just a beautiful song and the guy was telling uh, the fact that he had just done a revival and uh, in the whole theme was that he didn't know until he got to this particular venue that that was what they had designed as the thing in this, in this song uh, titled, Here is Love. Uh, we sang it every time before we started the, the service up, a couple of verses of it, and then they kind of mixed that up a little bit so you get the gist of the entire song. And I'll tell you what, I've listened to it a whole bunch of times already, and it's one of the most beautiful songs I've ever, I've ever heard. It was uh, uh, 1904 to 1905, I guess, was the Welsh revival, and this song was instrumental in getting that whole thing done. And going back in there and getting, where you, where you read some stuff about this, Music and that uh, purpose of it to get us in the mood to worship God uh, is, is pretty instrumental, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, they're about getting revivals going and about getting our hearts right with the, with the Lord. I remember years ago up at our old church in Cleveland, the preacher 
was going to preach a message one night on what is the proper music to have in a, uh, in a church service, an independent Baptist church service. And kind of the behind-the-scenes gossip and whisperings about it and everything was, well, this is going to cause a church split. You know, this is going <laughs> to... And, and in our pastor's brilliance up there, a young man, he took the church over from his father, but he had grown up in his church. His name is Pete Folger. Uh, one of the most wonderful preachers and just men of God that I've ever had the privilege of being around. And uh, the Folger family had a lot of influence on me and my family when we were coming up there, as a matter of fact. But he got up there and he started preaching this message. And basically what he ended up saying through, you know, really in the realm of the whole thing was that the music doesn't really matter what type it is, when it was written, whether it was written a week ago or whether it was written 500 years ago. Um, if it gets you into the mood to worship God and to know where you're at in our positional, you know, positional awareness with God, then it doesn't matter what the music is. But I'll tell you, this song here is just, I probably won't be able to read this without just crying, and that, that would be real embarrassing. But I'll, I'll try to, uh, I'll, now, now I did get embarrassed while we was at the thing. We, you know how they call up a couple to do a thing? Yeah, we were the oldest people at this thing. Just think about that for a minute. And, and uh, um, when we were riding down on the bus, Patty says to me, says, do you realize we're the oldest ones going down? I said, yeah, we're getting old. Well, you know, I'm, I'm smarter than I was, you know, uh, 20 years ago. And so that's a, good, that's a plus. But um, anyway, the, the call out for the people to come up in front of this, in, what was there, 150 people at this thing or something? Come up here if, you have, if you've been married longer than 30 years and you have four children or more. Well, I never volunteer for that stuff, right? But everybody's, oh, it's the noises. It's them. You know, our pastor and Evie and everybody else that are telling, yeah, it's them. Take them up there. So we go up there and it was a bunch of hard questions like, when did you have your first date? When did you, you know, how, how, what weight were your kids when they were born? I, I don't know any of that stuff. I didn't carry the child around, so I don't know how heavy it was when it got born and, and all this. But anyway, we, we did good and, and we won the thing. But boy, I'll tell you what, it was, it was embarrassing. I tried to be humorous about it and, and, uh, and what have you. The other couple, they, that guy, I don't know, he needs to get a life or something because he knew all that stuff. He's like, yeah, the baby was six pounds, four and a half ounces, and it was born at 12.22 p.m. I'm like, really, dude? Come on. <laughs> Give me a break here, you know. But anyway, uh, it was all in good fun, and, and we, it was kind of a tie, so we won, and what we got as our prize was good, comfortable chairs to sit in for that day's event. Boy, I'll tell you what, what a blessing that was, because you don't want to sit around for eight hours on those little metal folding chairs, that's for sure. So anyway, uh, listen, this, this song, I'm not going to sing it. I, I mentioned to Brother Gary that, that uh, your phone doesn't work. What do I have to do here to get into this thing now? Oh, okay, I did that. All right, now it wants me to install software, so I probably don't want to do that right now. Now it wants my thumbprint, but I know I can't do that. And let's see here. She can do all that stuff on my phone, of course. No secrets on my phone, but do you want me to update it right now or tonight? Okay, update tonight. Enter the passcode again, yeah, and it's updating now, so I'm out of business here. Anyway, <laughs> oh, for the love of Pete. 
really, you've got to be kidding me here. Yeah, here, get this, get this on here for me. In the meantime, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, what did, yeah, okay. All right, I get it. I fly an airplane that's got like 10,000 times more buttons than that, and I can do that without any trouble. But standing up here, trying to do this, listen, listen to the lyrics here. And the music that goes along with this is just absolutely beautiful. Welsh Revival, 1904-1905. There was uh, some lady, I forget what her name was, Anne something or another, that sang this all in, in Welsh was what the original, and it got translated into English here. It says, um, here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood, when the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. And then verse two, on the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide, through the floodgates of God's mercy, Float a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Boy, I'll tell you what. And then there's verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. Here is love that conquered evil, Christ the firstborn from the grave. Death has failed to be found equal to the life of him who saves. In the valley of our darkness dawned his everlasting light. Perfect love and glorious radiance has repelled death's hellish night. Verse 4. And I think some of these might have been added through this thing. But boy, you start, you start reading through this, and particularly when you sing it, and you're singing it in a room with 150 other people that are just right in tune with what, it, what this song is all about. Man, it just gives you a real deep uh, uh, feeling about what God did for us what Jesus did for us on that cross. And then, um, you know, we, we, we're in this, in this whole thing here about stewarding our time right now. And uh, we'll get started here in just a minute. But you, it, it gives you some insight. While, while we were singing this song over and over again, I was thinking to myself the whole time, Jeff, what are you doing? What are you doing with your time? You're going to be teaching a class right now about and telling people how to steward your time for Christ. But where are you at with that? What are you doing about stewarding your time for Christ? Because we, we just have a real short period of time here. And when, when, it, uh, when you look in the Bible and it talks about what's our reasonable service that we should provide to God, we really, do have a, we really do have something that we're supposed to do for him. And the thing we're supposed to do is to be a witness for him, period. Spread the gospel around, all these kind of things. And so as we get into today's lesson then, we're going we're gonna, to uh, just kind of recap some stuff that we had here last, uh, last week. And it, we, 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 were, we were talking about this, the, the bank of time that we have, how many seconds we have in a day, and how much of that time we can actually use to uh, do something to fulfill God's kingdom and fulfill our purpose in life. And so as we get into this then, on my little section here about where to start at, the purpose of time, is um, one of your little fill-in-the-blank things here. We'll get started, and that's what we're going to talk about today, and hopefully I'll get through to the end of the lesson. 
is what we really ought to be doing with our, with our gift of time that God has, has given us here. So let me uh, just have a word of prayer and then we'll get, uh, we'll get started up. Father, we thank you for the time that you've set aside here again this morning for us, Lord. Help us to um, get through your word here with an insight that will help us to find application in our life, Lord. We thank you for the, um, for the weekend and the, the marriage ceremony or the marriage uh, revival that we had there, Lord, and the things that came out of that. Help uh, Patty and I put that in our perspective and to, to have it in our life here now. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So starting up here, the purpose of time. Time, however many years of it we have, is our opportunity to achieve success in life. But if we don't clearly identify what success looks like, we may come to the end of our lives only to realize we strove for the wrong goals. Boy, isn't that the, isn't that the case? You know, I remember, I remember one time, I think it was in our biology class, some kind of science class or something like that, which I actually did fairly good in those classes in school and, uh, and, and what have you. But I remember we had, a, we had this chapter test that we were, supposed to, we were supposed to study for, right? Well, I studied the wrong chapter. <laughs> and when I got, it was a whole bunch of stuff that had been assigned. I got in there and I started looking at these test questions. I'm like, that's not the chapter that I studied. I studied the wrong thing. I was supposed to study next week's chapter for this chapter test. And anyway, it was just a disaster. And so you can find things in your life where you, where you do stuff for the wrong for the wrong intention, for the wrong goal, or what have you. And, and we really don't want to have that happen in our, in our earthly life here that we live. So it says, what is your definition of success? And then this, the text here talks about, from a secular perspective, success may be making wise financial investments, climbing up to the top of the ladder in a career field, or accumulating prestigious possessions. And then it goes on to say, none, none of those things are necessarily wrong. There's not anything wrong with doing that sort of thing. Your motivation and why you're doing that and what you use, the stuff that God has entrusted you to, uh, there could be some wrongdoings there. But those things in and of themselves aren't wrong. But neither do they quantify true success. After all, good financial returns, high positions in a career, and material possessions won't last forever. If these become the goals of your life, when your time is gone, so is your success. That's a kind of a sobering way to look at that there. When God tells us to steward our time with wisdom to redeem the time, he spells out what he means here. And so Ephesians 5.17 says this, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Success, then, here's his definition in the text, success is knowing and doing the will of God. It is investing our time in that which will last for eternity. Boy, and that's a, good, that's a good place to invest. There's no question about that. The, um, for, for those of us who believe that that's really by faith, that that's what's going to happen at the end of this life, is that we really do have an eternal existence and that you're going to spend that in one of two places. And we all know the answer to that question. And knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is the, uh, is the only way that you get to, the, to, the, to, to heaven. All right. And so... Uh, Here's his illustration that he, he gives here, and I, I kind of I thought this was interesting, the way that this was worded out here, even though we've all, we've all heard this sort of a thing. We've heard of people on their deathbeds expressing final regrets over choices they made in their lives. Now, I have not 
I've been to a lot of people's deathbeds and been around, you know, hospice places and all that kind of stuff. I've never really had the, the privilege of standing by somebody's deathbed and hearing them talk about the, the things that they did in their life because most of the people that I've been around like that have been Christians. And when they're, when they're talking about things that they've done in their life, they, they don't have a whole bunch of regrets. They don't have things like, oh, you know, I wish I'd have done this, I wish I'd have done that from a secular standpoint. Sometimes they might feel like they could have done a little bit more for the Lord and what have you, but I've never seen anybody just lament the fact that they, you know, spent too much time at work. So he goes on to say, we never hear of them saying, I only wish I'd worked more overtime. Now, how many people want to work more? When you're on your deathbed, you're thinking, boy, I wish I could get out of here so I could go back to work and work some overtime here. Or if I had only become the CEO of this company. But we often hear laments such as, I wish I'd have spent more time with my children. Boy, I have that lament, and I'm not even on my deathbed yet, you know. I wish I'd have spent more time with my kids when, I, when they were growing up and, and try, to, try to do that even more today. Or, I wish I'd invested more into the work of the Lord. Those are the kind of things that you might hear people, people say. Even born-again Christians, you would hear them maybe say something along those lines. It is entirely possible to spend your time diligently on fleeting goals. Some things just don't matter when you approach the bridge between time and eternity. If you don't clearly identify what true success is, you will come to an end of your life and realize that you've lived for the wrong goals. At that point, you will wish you had invested more time in eternity. So here's, a, here's another illustration. And I, I, I could I'd tell you a little story about a, a thing that I have, and it's actually on my, on my dresser at home. But it talks here about, we've all known people who died in their 80s and 90s, but have been unsuccessful as far as eternal things are concerned, all right? And then you run across the children who've died and accomplished more in their very short period of time on this earth for the kingdom of God than people in our 80s and 90s have never accomplished. And you know, one of these little, I've told you guys about these little chick track comic book things that I like to read and pass out to people and what have you. There's, there's one on there where this, where this pastor and his wife are getting on this airplane. The little comic is drawn up in this airplane and everything. And uh, uh, they sit down and they're talking about praising the Lord for the, for the trip that we're getting to go on. And they're on a missionary trip and all this kind of stuff. And in walks this young man, not dressed very good. And he sits down right next to him and immediately starts asking them questions about what they're doing. Oh, we're missionaries going on this trip down here, and we've done all this work for the Lord, and we've planted churches, and we've done this, that, and the other thing. And uh, um, then, the, then the kid says, oh, that's really cool. I just got saved. I was just in church Sunday and got saved. I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And the little boy starts talking to these people about this. And they're, you know, they give the little thought balloons and all that kind of stuff. And kind of their thoughts was, yeah, we've heard all this stuff before, and I wish this kid would shut up because we'd really like to just get some rest and all this stuff. Well, a little further down the road in the comic book, the airplane gets into trouble, and it's on its way to, to crashing, and it does. And now they're, they're all dead, and they're standing before God. And the missionary is talking about how, yeah, we've done all these things in your name, and God says, Depart for I don't know who you are. But the boy, he says, hey, I, you know, 
I just trusted Jesus as my Savior. Yeah, come on into heaven, this sort of thing. So there are a whole bunch of things here that we got to watch for when we're, when we're going through here. We don't, we don't want to be doing things that are not uh, uh, in line with what God's will is for our life. So there, that would necessarily advise that there's a good reason to know what his will is. And there's a whole bunch of different ways that you can find that. And what I would say to somebody like that is just keep praying about it. That's what I'm, I've been for months and months now trying to find out what God wants me to, uh, to do with my life here for what's, what little bit of it that I might have left. Which one would you say is successful? Which one of these kind of things are, are successful here? Well, the, the, the person who's accomplished more for, for God in even a very short period of time is a more successful uh, person here. Anyway, I, number A here then, or letter A, is another underlined thing here. Seek the wisdom of God. So that's how you're going to go about doing things here for God. And when you're trying to figure out his will and what he wants you to do is just to first ask for uh, wisdom. Thankfully, God freely provides a resource to give us balance as we steward our time. It's true that we can and should live by the list. Yeah, I love lists. That's one of my favorite things to have is a whole bunch of lists. And then I forget where I put them. I need a list to kind of tell me where the list are at. We should have a list of priorities, a list of goals, a list of ministry opportunities. Yeah, see, I... I keep that list of ministry opportunities in the back of my mind. Maybe I should write them down, and that might be a little bit better reminder of what I'm supposed to be doing to, uh, for, for God here. We should keep a prayer list, a project list, and a to-do list. Lists help us keep our time focused on written priorities and predetermined plans. We've all heard, of, we've all heard the helpful advice, plan your work and work your plan. Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard that. I, I try to kind of live by that to a certain degree. Yet in all our planning, there is an ingredient which we must have, and we know how to steward our time for eternity. Our list must be made through a grid of this resource, or we will simply be determined-mindedly determined spinning our wheels. What is this must-have for your must-do list? It's wisdom. When God instructs us to walk circumspectly with vigilance and balance, he equips us to do this with his wisdom. He even specifically tells us to walk not as fools, but as wise. Yeah, not as fools, but as wise. Walking in wisdom is knowing and doing what matters most. Wisdom teaches us which priorities and activities have eternal significance. Wisdom helps us avoid time wasters, and wisdom helps us avoid being, being driven. Boy, now how, how many people, and don't sh show your hands, even though I will, how many people would think that they're a driven person? Man, I'm a driven person. I've got all kinds of things going on all the, uh, all the time and just one thing after another, particularly with my job and our business that we have and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, and I kind, of, I kind of felt good when I first read that till I read the next couple of paragraphs <laughs> because it's not good. Being a driven person is not, is not a good thing to be. Uh, wisdom helps us avoid being driven. The polar opposite of a lackadaisical, time-wasting lifestyle is driven living. But one, of, one is not significantly better than the other. Driven living makes us the center of our well-planned schedules. A driven life may stem from a passion to live with eternal purpose, but we show that we think God's work depends on us. We neglect to acknowledge that God created us as finite resources dependent upon him. Wow. 
man, I forget that all the time. Sometimes I don't include God in my plans. I'm just like, I can handle this myself. I don't need God necessarily for this. And then when I really get in a bind, then I go to God and start asking him for favors. And, hey, can you help me out with this mess that I have on my hands here and this sort of thing. God is a really great airplane mechanic, by the way. I've seen him put bolts in a thing after a word of prayer that I wouldn't be able to do. I'd, I'd still be out there from five years ago trying to get the thing to work like it's supposed to. Driven people have three common defining characteristics in their life. Listen to these and listen to them close. Driven people are sometimes busy doing the wrong things. Activity is not the same as productivity. We can have a full schedule of unproductive activities. Would you agree with that, Patty? I, I, I certainly, I demonstrate that every day. Driven people are caught in uncontrolled pursuit of expansion. Bigger isn't always better. God doesn't measure our work by size, but by our surrender to him. Well, wow, that's pretty, pretty uh, deep. Driven people are often unconsciously trying to prove something to themselves or to others. Their motives may be to live for eternity, but they want to be sure their critics see their achievements. Boy, that was the guys in the synagogues, right? Let's do all the right stuff, but while we're dumping our money into the thing, let's make sure everybody sees what we're, what we're doing. I, I suffer from that. I've got people in my peers, my colleagues, people. I, I want them to see how good I am at something, you know? even though sometimes I probably ought to ask God to just humble myself a little bit and, and maybe just, just let me see what my inefficiencies are, what my deficiencies are. Driven living is being on a treadmill with no relief and no escape, except by wisdom. Only wisdom can teach us to define success, not by activity or by expansion or self-validation, but by God's will for our lives. Of course, wisdom doesn't come overnight. Rather, we grow in wisdom as we follow the methods that God has given us to obtain it. And then, here we get into some the scriptures associated with this. Seek it in God's word, Proverbs 2, 2 through 6. So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding... If thou seekest her as silver and searchest her for her hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Boy, that's a, that's a good proverb. As a matter of fact, we just, we just listened to that. We were listening through a proverb. But that, that was one of the challenges at the, at the uh, marriage conference here was this guy says, hey, wanna, today's a good, good day to start right now. Start, it was the first of, uh, of uh, what month are we in? January, February, March. First of March and uh, 31 days, 31 Proverbs. Try listening to one a day if you haven't ever gotten into the habit of doing that. We've never been in the habit of doing that. I've heard other people do it, and that's their whole life. They do it, they do it the whole year like that, just read them. There is a lot of, uh, there is a lot of wisdom in there. But anyway, we just, we just listened to that one. Ask God for it. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Yeah, all you got to do is ask and it'll, it'll be given to you. Listen to the counsel of others. Proverbs 1.5 A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Yeah, the more people that you have counseling you on stuff... 
particularly spiritual, godly people. Uh, you, you can counsel all over the place, but when it comes to getting wisdom, you really need to get it from the Bible. But there's a lot of different avenues that you can get it, but God will, will uh, give, you, give you counsel on this. Through trial and error, apply it to our lives. Now, this was, this was interesting here. This is to talk about application through trial and error. There's no better application than trial and error. You know, how many times, how many, how many light bulbs did Thomas Edison not get right before he finally figured out the way to, to, the way to do this? I love watching documentaries on how stuff was manufactured and how things got invented and all that kind of stuff. And it is just, generally speaking, one failure after another until you finally get the, the thing right. And, and it's just amazing to me. So here it is right here in Proverbs 6, 23. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Yeah, test it and test it and test it and see if it works. If it finally does work, you finally maybe got the right combination there of, of uh, the thing. All right. Um, then here's another one of the teaching tips here. It says you can come up with all your own stuff based on your priorities regarding time and share them with your class. Or you may wish to share the following list, which I note in my journal. Encourage class members to seek the Lord's wisdom in writing out their own lists of truths that lead them to the walk of wisdom in relation to time. And so here's when, when Paul Chapel was on this kind of coerced vacation that he had to go on, right, because of all of his health issues and what have you. He wrote out some things in the journal here which are, which are, are, are very intriguing and very thoughtful and something to consider here. What God has given me is sustainable. It isn't God's nature to give us more responsibilities than grace. Listen to that carefully. More responsibilities than grace. Yeah. My grace is sufficient for you, is what he told the Apostle Paul when he was asking for stuff. So Paul had all those responsibilities, and he says, my grace is sufficient to, to, for you to carry out what I've got going on here. He doesn't give us more to do than we can ever get done in the time he has provided. So um, the, how, you, how you can look at that in a whole bunch of different ways. I look at it in my life. When I read that, I thought... Well, I'm not going to be around much longer because he certainly hasn't pointed out a whole bunch of stuff I'm supposed to be doing, right? And, and, and unless I'm really weak in what I'm supposed to be doing, then he, God doesn't need to provide me with very much more time. I'm 61. What's the Bible say? We're supposed to live to about 70. I might not have nine years left of this or something. Praise God. But um, anyways, we'll, we'll see what happens with all that. Next one here he wrote down, an opportunity does not equal an obligation. Think about that for a minute. More opportunities present themselves to us than we are ever physically able to accomplish. Only wisdom can help us separate between the good, better, and best. If we fail to make the distinction, however, we will find ourselves overburdened and under-equipped. What God gives us is sustainable. What we put, our, what we put on ourselves may be unbearable. That right there needs to, needs to be uh, wrote down and hung on our office wall at our shop. Patty will, I'm terrible at this. I can't say no. I can't say no to people. It's like, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's the, man, that, that right there is an opportunity does not equal an obligation. When I read that, I'm like, Jeff, that's got you written all over. You talk about looking in the mirror, looking into the, the, the Bible and what it says is a mirror or reflection of what we are and stuff. 
well, I just find myself falling so short all the time of stuff that God would, would want, want us to be and do. I must identify and focus on the most important things. Every opportunity looks important at the moment it presents itself, but living with an eternal perspective will help us sort out what matters most. Often, looking beyond time helps distinguish between the trivial and the truly important. Sometimes it is helpful to ask, what is going to matter when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ? It has been said that great leaders attribute their success not to the things they said yes to, but to the things they said no to and the things they didn't do. Tarrying times are not idle times. We like to see immediate results, but there are seasons when, we can all do, when all we can do is wait on the Lord. Contrary to the counsel of our busy natures, waiting on God is, is a good use of our time. These seasons allow us to sense his purpose for our lives, and they equip us to serve with his power. This is Isaiah 40, 31. And then it says here, I will center my This is the next point that he made here. I will center my time on the main thing God has called me to do. There are some things that only I can do. For instance, nobody else can fulfill the husband father needs of my wife and children, regardless of any other life achievement. If I neglect these responsibilities, I have failed. And my family members are the ones who will suffer. The same could be said for other areas of my calling. God has called me to be the senior pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church. As the pastor, there are some things that I am responsible to do. Preparing spiritually nourishing sermons, for example. If I expend my time doing what many others could do to the neglect of my primary call, I'll miss the purpose God has given to me. In your case, the main thing that God has called you to do may not be the pastor. But whatever it is, you must identify it and then center your time around it. Center our time around it. So, yeah, we're not all going to be the pastors of the church. We're not all going to have prominent positions in whatever we do. It's just like if you have a job somewhere or something. Not everybody can be the CEO of the company, right? There's got to be people that are qualified and capable of doing the job that has to keep the place in, in business and what have you. So we've got we've to identify things and center our time around that. But more important than our jobs, we got to figure out what God wants us to do and center our times and our lives and our testimonies around that aspect of it. When we feel the effects of living without balance or when we are convicted that we haven't used our time as wisely as we could, we should earnestly seek God's wisdom for the use of our time. So there's, there's all, these different, all these different things that can be going through somebody's head about what does God want me to do with my time? Where am I supposed to be right now? What am I supposed to be planning on for next week? What am I supposed to be planning on for our, our church here? We've got all kinds, of, all kinds of stuff always going on at this church. And so, granted, you can't be at every single thing that goes on at the church, and you can't help for every single thing. But God will give each and every one of us a calling, something in particular that, uh, that he, you know, you hear an announcement from the pulpit. We've got this and this and this going on. God ought to prick your heart on one of those things there that says, yeah, maybe I ought to try to find some time to help out with that. Or maybe I could be a blessing to the pastor if I did this. Or maybe I'd be a blessing to one of the church members if I helped him with this sort of thing. And I know we've got people in, our, in, in, in this church that, that are like that. This church I've mentioned from the pulpit is... To, to me is very unique. It's a, it's a gathering of people here that's unlike anything that we've been around. And uh, the, the longevity of this church, how long it's been here, and some of the people that have been here basically, you know, since day one or, 
day 20 or whatever, however that works out, it, it's amazing. There is a synergy. The, the, the word you'd use secularly is a synergy around what happens on this church. It's a very loving, caring, helpful kind of a, uh, kind of a place. And so hopefully all those things are centered around what God's will is for your life and that you're doing it for the, for the right reasons, in other words. Right. I wonder about that sometimes. I stand up here and I talk. I say all this stuff and I, I try to uh, convince myself that tomorrow morning, Jeff, you're going to go up there and you're going to tell these people this. How are you doing in your life with it? Where are, you, where are you at with this with this whole thing? There's a lot of things that I tell you folks to do that I don't do. It's just that simple. I get convicted about it. And it's like, man, you're up there and you're not, you're not, uh, you're not doing, you're not practicing what you're preaching and stuff. Sometimes I wonder, do you have to practice everything that you preach? Because sometimes that might be almost impossible to do that, you know, but you got to try. You got to look at what God's will is for your life. And so I'm, there's a lot of this that I'm still trying to, trying to sort out, you know. Amen. Anyway, um, here's, here's what it goes on down here in, in um, Psalm 90, verse 12 says this. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Yeah, teach us to number our days. Um, Psalm 39, 4 and 5. Lord, make me know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an hand breath and mine age is nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Think about that for a minute. Right? Just ponder that for just a second. We've got a little bit of time on this earth. You know, we, we joke around about how, like, like on, our, on, our, on our bus trip over the weekend, yeah, we're the oldest people in the, in the group here this time. Uh, we're the oldest folks in this church. By definition, this class is the over 60 crowd, right? And so here we are. We've got some people here that are, that are fairly old. Let's just come down to it. Let's just say, look, we're, we're older. There is absolute. I remember when I had my... I think it was my 30th birthday or something. As you, you threw me a surprise birthday party there at the airport. I remember, yeah, so it was. It was my 30th birthday. And uh, boy, I just felt like I was really old. 30 years old. What in the world am I doing here, you know, and all this stuff? I'm going to be dead next week and just on and on and on. Even at 30, you kind of start getting some aches and pains here and there and, and what have you. And a friend of mine there at that birthday party, he told me, he says, Jeff, don't feel bad about getting older. Feel bad if you're getting older and you're not getting smarter. That's what you need to feel bad about or that you're not taking your experience that you have and applying it to your life so that you don't make the same mistakes over and over. And more important than that, taking your experience that you've learned in your life and helping other people to avoid the same dumb mistakes that you, you might have made. And boy, there's a, there's a, lot, of, a lot of truth to that. But um, listen, it, it talks about here, Lord, make me know mine end yeah, we're all, coming, we're all coming to that point here. At some, at some point, sometime down the road, we're all going to be taking our very last breath and we're going to be meeting the Lord there. We're going to meet him for one of two reasons, either to be welcomed into heaven or to be cast into the lake of fire. Just that simple. I mean, that's what the Bible says. It's not me saying that. It's what the Bible has to say about this and everything. And boy, you want to you make sure that we've got this side of the equation right, that we ought to be doing what the Lord wants. And so all this stewarding time thing, it says here, one of the lessons, or one of the questions at the end of this lesson here is this right here. It says, uh, question, study question number two. 
in order, what are the two greatest gifts we have been given? Here's the order. We've been given Jesus and we've been given time. Those are the two greatest gifts that we've been given. And, and that's the order that we, we need to consider them in, right? So, anyway, here's another illustration that he has. Several people have chosen to establish a visual reminder, and I might have even said something about this the other day. I'm pretty certain I did. They calculate how many weeks they have left if they were to live a full lifespan of 70 years mentioned in Psalm 9010. They then fill a large glass bowl with marbles, one for each week they have calculated. Every Sunday night or every Saturday night, they remove one marble from the bowl and to toss it into the trash, never to be regained. They are thus reminded on a continual basis of the limited and fleeting nature of time. Yeah, we did talk about that because I was trying to figure out how many marbles I have left. Right? <laughs> Some people say you've already lost your marbles, Jeff, but uh, that's a whole other matter here. But what a, what a kind of a cool way to, to look at that. We were uh, talking to somebody over the, over the weekend here, and it, but it wasn't at the marriage conference. It was at a, at like in a grocery store or something I mentioned to some guy. And, and, and he said something like he's 85 years old, but he should have been dead at 70, you know, because he knew the scripture. He knew what it said. I said, you're living on borrowed time, sir. I hope you're doing something for the Lord. He says, well, I try to. You know, where, where was that guy? Maybe at Walmart or something. I can't remember. But um, anyway, uh, living with a sense of number of days is not morbid. It is motivating. It propels us to make every day count for the glory of God. It reminds us that there is an end to our days and that we don't want to reach that point only to look back and wonder how we could have wasted so much time. All right. Letter B. Seek the will of God. Now, that's another, that's another uh, um, fill-in-the-blank thing here. And as a matter of fact, it's the last fill-in-the-blank here on, of the lesson. Seek the will of God. James describes the opposite of remembering the limited nature of life. Here's what James 4.13 says. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Here James describes the example of a person who assumes life will continue as it always has. This assumption leads to presumptuous living. The person described in this passage assumes success and presumes upon God that he can live according to his own plans, never seeking the will of God. James has an important reminder for us in our presumptuous tendencies. James 4.14. Yeah, listen to this here. This is, a, this is a verse that I've just recently had in a little memorization thing that I'm going through. Here it says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Boy, if you don't think the time, if that's the truth, just take a look back at your, take a look back at your clock there. It was uh, 10 o'clock, just 45 minutes ago, and my watch is still running. And it's going to keep running and running and running until the battery goes dead. Then I'm going to get a new watch, and that one's going to keep running. And so this life, this business about it being a short, it's a vapor, pure for a little time and then vanish away. We constantly talk about where in the world has the time gone. We can't believe that we've got you know, grandkids, and we've got kids that are 30 years old and all this stuff. Seems like Patty and I just met here, you know, and we've been married coming up on, this will be our 31st wedding anniversary this October. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's an important reminder. Appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. In other words, your days are numbered. Live with an awareness of eternity. Stewarding our time with wisdom means we won't assume tomorrow will be like today. 
today's opportunities may disappear tomorrow. Tomorrow itself may disappear before today ends. Yeah, yeah I could drop dead right in front of you guys. Just, uh, just drag me off the pulpit and let somebody else come up here and finish the lesson, and we'll deal with my scraps later. James 4.15, For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Yeah, change your mind a little bit about that. Not we're going to do this, we're not going to do that. Lord willing, we'll, we'll do this or do that, right? All right. Investing our time in accomplishing God's will requires that we pause periodically to seek God's will. It is so easy to be lulled by the patterns and rhythms of our daily living into a slow drift away from eternal living. Yeah, that's, that can happen pretty easy. We need to set predetermined checkpoints to reevaluate our schedules and recalibrate our spirits. Yeah, predetermined checkpoints. Tell you what, when you're navigating something to checkpoints and where you get to and where you're coming from and all that stuff, it's one of the most important things that you can do. You learn it from early on when you learn how to pilot an airplane. You learn how to navigate the thing. And it's all about where you're here, where you're here, where you're here. If all that stuff's working out, then you're on the right track. So why not do that for our will as far as God is concerned? You can discern some of that will for, of God, but there might be some question marks about other parts of it and everything. But using the checkpoints and figuring out how you know if you're at least heading in the right direction or if you're so far off on a tangent here that you really need to reevaluate the whole, the whole thing. How can we be sure we are seeking God's will? One way is to establish checkpoints in our lives. And then it goes, on to, uh, it goes on to some more teaching tips here and what to do as far as weekly and, and, and uh, you know, daily concerns here. All right. And then finally, the conclusion of the whole matter here is that um, we live in a driven society. Whatever time we don't plan will be filled. As one author suggested, unplanned time or unwise priorities cause us to live under the tyranny of the urgent. Yeah. Hold your hand up if you've ever been of the tyranny of the urgent. Yeah, I have. I live that way most of the time. We live busy but empty days, and we end each of them wondering how we could have been so occupied, accomplishing so little. Have you all ever thought about that? Have you ever, do you end up a day and go, boy, I didn't get anything done, but I've been busy the whole day today? Man, I'll tell you what. It is sobering when you start really looking at it from God's perspective and from the, from the biblical aspect. The only escape from the tyranny of the urgent is to live with the urgency of the important. That's pretty cool. Rather than allowing the loudest voice or most pressing issue to consume our attention, we must choose to focus our time on the urgent matter of fulfilling God's will. What God has called you to do can only be done by you. It can only be done in one lifetime. Numbered days demand focused lives. All right. Okay, there's the second bell. The only thing we've got left, and then we'll, we'll just do it next week before we get started actually on lesson three. So the end of lesson two we'll finish next week is just the study questions. And, you know, maybe I'll even print these out. Maybe we'll just make some copies of this, Patty, so we can give them to everybody. And then there's a little thing here that you can, you can write down uh, as, far as, the, uh, as far as the things are concerned. All right, and there's, there's eight questions here. So, All right, well, that was the second bell. We'll...
get on with the rest of the day here. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us here. We thank you for the attendance and we uh, thank you for uh, the opportunity here to teach this morning. And then, Lord, I'd ask that you be with the preacher as he brings us a message here this morning. Help us to be soft-hearted and open-minded about what he would say and that we would find application in our lives for your words. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.